I noticed several of you singing with the choir. Maybe you ought to be in the choir, but I just <laughs> noticing that during the, uh, the special music. Well, today we're going to return to our study in Second Peter. We postponed that study during the month of December, and today we will continue where we had left off, probably because it's been a while, we need a brief review concerning the letter. And uh, the purpose of Second Peter was to expose false teachers and their false teaching. That was the reason it was written. I said early on, I believe that Simon Peter is the author of this letter. The reason for that is that the author refers to himself as Simon Peter. He refers to himself as having been an apostle of Jesus Christ. He declared that he was an eyewitness of his majesty and that this was the second letter that he had written. The audience to whom Peter wrote in 1 Peter was Jewish believers, and in 2 Peter it primarily was to Gentile believers. But remember the purpose of the letter. It is to expose false teachers and their false teaching. So take your Bibles, look with me where we left off last time to Second Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse number 12. But these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed, suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. They count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you, having eyes full of adultery and that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he received a rebuke for his own transgression. For a dumb donkey, speaking with a voice of a man, restrained the madness of the prophet. These are springs without water, and mist driven by a storm, for whom the black darkness has been reserved. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity... They entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than, than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment delivered to them. It has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. Well, it's obvious to all of us Peter knew nothing about being politically correct, and he certainly didn't in this. He begins by exposing the sins of these false teachers. William Barclay wrote, Peter launches out into a long passage of magnificent invective. 
Through it glows the fiery heat of flaming moral indignation. So what Peter is doing in these verses, first of all, is listing the sins of these false teachers. It would be possible for us to put their sins in three categories. The first is found in verse number 10. Especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority, daring, self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. Peter says these false teachers revile angelic majesties. Now, where did they get that kind of boldness? These false teachers who revile angelic majesties, where do they get such boldness to do so? And Peter says, first of all, because they are arrogant. Verse number 11, Whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. What Peter is saying is that their arrogance exceeds the authority of the angels who did not speak against the fallen angels. So they are arrogant. He says that they are daring, that they dare rebel against God and the forces of heaven. He says that they are self-willed. They desire to live simply to please themselves. Verse number 12, But these like unreasoning animals. Now, I know that that is not real gentle and kind, but Peter, as he speaks about these false teachers who had come into the church, he says they are like unreasoning animals, animals that cannot reason. So he said, first of all, that they revile angelic majesties. Secondly, he says that they revel in verse number 13. Suffering wrong is the wages of doing wrong. They count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you. Now, you know that most reveling takes place at night. But Peter says these false teachers revel in the daytime. One commentator wrote, These men regard daylight debauchery, dissipated reveling, abandoned carousing as pleasure. Then Paul, Peter begins to characterize these false teachers. He says, first of all, that they are deceptions. Now, what he means by that is that they had deceived themselves, and now then they are deceiving others who look to them. So these false teachers then have deceived themselves into believing their false gospel, and now they are deceiving others to embrace that gospel. He says that they are stains and blemishes. Vines translates that lasciviousness and riotous. Barclay wrote, they are blots on the Christian fellowship. They are like the blemishes on an animal, which make it unfit to be offered to God. Now, that, that's, that's what it means when it says that they were stains and blemishes. They were like an animal that was brought to God to be offered but was unfit. And Peter says that they are unfit. These who are false teachers who had come into the church teaching a false doctrine, Peter says they are unfit. Very interesting in verse number 14. Having eyes full of adultery, and that never cease from sin. Barclay wrote in verse 14, he uses an extraordinary phrase which strictly will not translate into English at all. 
We have translated it, they have eyes full of adultery. The Greek literally is, they have eyes which are full of an adulteress. Most probably the meaning is, they see a possible adulteress in every woman, wondering how she can be persuaded to gratify their lust. That's what Peter says about them, that every time they see a woman, they see potentially someone who can satisfy their sexual lust. That's what Peter says of them. He says that they are guilty of enticing the unstable, in verse number 14b, enticing unstable souls. The word enticing that is used there is a word that means bait. Now, if you're a fisherman, you know the importance of bait. My son Eric loves to fish, and uh, he uh, he's always getting bait, and if he comes over, he ends up leaving it in our refrigerator. And uh, there is a continuing conflict between his mother and him because the bait smells up the refrigerator. But we know the importance of bait. If one is a fisherman, one has to have bait to catch a fish. It is a word for a hunter, that a hunter baits the trap if he is going to catch the animal. So that is that is what the word means. So it says that he entices unstable souls, or he baits unstable souls. Now, think about this. Peter is speaking here about false teachers that have come into the church and is leading people astray. And he says that he baits the trap. Now, what is the bait? What is the bait that a false teacher uses to get someone to follow their false gospel? Verse number 19. Promising them freedom. That is the bait of a false teacher. A false teacher comes in promising people that you are going to have freedom if you embrace this. In fact, uh, within the context of this, what the false teacher was saying is that we are saved by grace. Therefore, you do not have to worry about the law. You do not have to worry about keeping the law because we have been saved by grace So you can do whatever you want to do. And so that is the bait of the false teacher. The false teacher uses the bait of freedom and promises a life of fulfillment. P.T. Forsyth said, the purpose of life is is not to find your freedom, but to find your master. The purpose of life is not to find your freedom. See, that's what we're told today, that that the most desired thing for our lives is that we have freedom... Forsyth says the most important thing is to find the master of your life. Thirdly, he says they revolted against the true teachings of God. In verse number 14, B, it looks interesting to me. He says they're having a heart trained in greed, accursed children. Now, this is these false teachers. He says that their hearts have been trained in greed. Everything is concerning me. Everything is about me. It's what I want. It's what I approve. Their hearts trained in greed, and he said that they are cursed children. Now, these are not the blessed children of God. These are the cursed children of Satan. And then in verse number 15, he says, Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Now, this is a reference to Numbers chapters 22, 23, and 24 
when Balaam was asked to curse the children of Israel by Balak. His sin was that he coveted the gold that Balak offered. You know, the Bible says the way, that the love of money is the root of all evil. It's not having money that's the root of all evil, but the love of it. And that was Balaam. He desired the gold that was offered, and he taught the children of Israel to rebel against God. So, Peter begins here by listing the sins of these false teachers, and he's not kind to them. He goes on from there and says that they made false promises to the believers. Look at verse 17. These are springs without water and mist driven by a storm for whom the black darkness has been reserved. Now, he says that they are springs without water. Now, folks, there's no such thing as a spring without water. A well, if it has no water, is still a well. But a spring that has no water is no longer a spring. So there's no such thing as springs without water. Well, what is he saying then? He is saying they are not what they claim to be. These false teachers who had come into the church teaching a false doctrine were claiming to be men of God, but they were not men of God, and their promises were not true either. Milton, referring to the false shepherds who were leading their sheep astray, referred to them as being shepherds whose hungry sheep look up and are not fed. The promises are empty. So this is what he is saying about false teachers who come into the church. He says that, that they are not what they appear to be and their promises are empty. And then he says they are mist-driven by the storms. That means they are clouds without rain. A cloud, no rain. I remember as, as a boy, we had a, a lot of droughts, and which common to West Texas, there's just a lot of time. You don't get much water there. You don't get much rain there. That's the reason that our trees are about that tall. But... Uh, I remember during those times when there wasn't um, uh, any rain that you'd see a cloud coming over. And you look up into the sky and see the cloud and think, maybe it's going to rain. And then it goes on. There's no rain. As my grandson Hughes would say, it was just a Passover. Well, it, was, it would just be a Passover that a cloud would come and there would be nothing in it. And, and that's what he says about these false teachers. They are clouds but no rain, that their promises are empty. That they make promises, but their promises are empty. Folks, it's really important, especially for us today, where there is so much, so many false teachers and so much false doctrine, that we examine what we are hearing according to the Scripture. What does the Scripture say? Because there are many out there who are offering promises that are empty. They are just the clouds without rain. They, they, they contain nothing. They're empty. And then he mentions black darkness. They promised light. They were destined to darkness. Do you ever wonder when you hear some of these teachers today and preachers today and you know that what they're saying is not scriptural, how in the world do they get a following? I remember some years ago, I used to listen to a guy on radio. He was an evangelist from down in South Texas. And, and uh, I wondered, you know, there's, I don't know how he pays for his radio ministry because surely there's no one listening to him. I remember one time he was telling the people, said, God is going to judge the cities. So if you live in the city, then sell your houses and send me the money and move to the country. 
Well, I, I thought, surely that's not going to work. Well, he came, we were in Oklahoma City at that time, and he came to Oklahoma City, and I wanted to go hear him. Linda wouldn't go with me. She normally wouldn't go on those things, but I wanted to go hear him. And I got a friend of mine to go with me because I thought, well, you know, there's going to be the three of us there. And so I didn't want to be, I got there, there were probably 2,000 people. I thought, what in heaven's name are these people doing here, listening to this? Do you ever wonder how in the world those people who preach a gospel, they proclaim a gospel that is so contrary to Scripture, how they get a following? Well, he tells us. He says, with arrogant words in verse number 18, for speaking out arrogant words of vanity. The word arrogant that is used there means inflated words that say nothing. In other words, they impress and manipulate with arrogant words. You know what a false teacher does? A false teacher will appeal to the goodness of man. And he will say that man is basically good. In fact, to me, that is the, that is the, the, the foundational difference between what I would consider someone who is a conservative and someone who is a liberal. Someone who is a liberal normally would say that man is basically good. Therefore, if we change his environment or we change his economic condition, then man is going to do right because he's basically good. A conservative believes that someone is basically evil and he needs a, a transformation of heart. And so he has to be changed from the inside to do good on the outside. So they appeal to man's goodness. They say that man is basically good. And they also appeal to man's intellect that the, the Bible then is rejected because it is antiquated. It is out of date. It has nothing to say to our situation. So we change it. We manipulate it. It is a living document. And, and we change it because things change and standards change. He says they lead people astray. Verse number 18, for speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error. Now, that is a reference to new believers. And, and a new believer is especially vulnerable to false teaching. And the reason for that is because a new believer wants to do what God says. A new believer is just open to the Lord. Now, they might not know much, but they are open to the Lord. And so if someone in authority comes to them and tells them something, then they are willing to embrace it because they want to do what God tells them to do. So they're susceptible. See, we have to understand in the church that we have the responsibility of evangelism. The Scripture says in Matthew 28:19, Go therefore and make disciples. So we have the responsibility then of sharing the good news of making disciples, but then we also have the responsibility of discipleship. Maturing people in the faith, once they become a follower of Christ, a believer in Christ, then it's important that they grow up in Christ. The Bible says in Matthew 28:20, 20, Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. That is our mission as a church. We are to make disciples evangelism. But then after someone becomes a disciple, it is important that you get involved in Bible study. It's important that you get involved in prayer. It's important that you begin to grow in your relationship to Christ. That's our responsibility as a church. So he says that false teachers use arrogant words, fleshly desires to deceive those who are vulnerable. Then he talks about the bondage of these teachers in verse 19. Promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. 
For by what a man is overcome by this, he is enslaved. These false teachers, according to Peter, are themselves enslaved. Back in verse number 14, he says that they are enslaved to greed. Folks, listen. I guess that's one of the reasons that I am so proud of you for your giving. Because when we become greedy, when that is in our heart, when greed is in our heart, then we are enslaved by that and we can never be satisfied. You can never get enough. You have to have a little bit more. And, and, then, and I would venture to say that every one of us here has more than we ever thought we would. But we still want more. See, that's the reason we have to warn about that. He says they are enslaved by greed in verse 14, by lust in verse number 10, and by pride in verse number 18. Let me tell you something. Freedom is not found in their false teaching, but freedom is found in Jesus. If you want freedom, that's what they offer. They say, if you, if you follow after me, you're going to have freedom. You're going to have fulfillment. Freedom is found in Christ. My friend, if you want to have the best family you can have, Build it on Jesus. If you want to do the best possible with your finances, build it on Jesus, on the Word of God. If you want to have the best life that is possible, then you build your life on Jesus. That's what Peter's trying to say. These false prophets are offering something else, but he is telling us that the best life is built on Christ. It's important that we are like Jesus, not like these false teachers. It's important that you are like Christ. That's the reason the Bible says that God is working in our lives, to conform us to the image of Jesus. That's what God wants to do in your life, that you become like Jesus. Now then, the deception of the false teacher, everything is counterfeit. Their message does not lead to salvation, because theirs is the message of Satan. Satan is, uh, has a false gospel. And the Bible says that uh, he has false ministers. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 through 15, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their deeds. And Peter is saying here that these false teachers are Satan's ministers. Those who come with a gospel that is contrary to the word of God are the ministers of Satan. And their message is the message that comes from Satan. Now, it's interesting here as he describes them in verse number 20. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world. Now, that is a reference to externals, not to a changed heart. In other words, these people look religious on the outside. They look holy on the outside. They've cleaned up their lives so that they look religious. But you recall Jesus saying to the religious Pharisees, he says, on the outside, you're like whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but on the inside, there is corruption. Well, that's these false teachers. They have cleaned up on the outside. They look religious, and yet they are not. He goes on in verse number 20 and says, uh, And they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, they have knowledge of Jesus. There's no question about that. They have knowledge of Jesus. But they reject it. You see, folks, I, here's the thing. There are some people out there, they can sing the third verse of Just As I Am without looking at the book. 
I mean, they, they know the language, they just don't know the Lord. And that's these false teachers. There are some people who are, who are so religious, they look so religious, they look so right. But Peter is talking about people who do not know the Lord. They have the knowledge, but they don't know the Lord. In verse number 20, he continues on. They are again entangled in them and are overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. He says they, they are overcome by sin because they do not have the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. If you do not have the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit and you're trying to live the Christian life, you are not going to be successful because you don't have the power that is necessary. It is the Holy Spirit who gives us the power that is necessary. That is the reason, and, and, I, and I'm not judging that because that's something of the heart. I can't see a person's heart. I can see what happens on the outside, but I can't see a heart, nor can you. But there are some people who are going along, they're doing all right for a while, and then they're overcome by their sin. Many times it's because their heart has not been changed, and the Holy Spirit does not abide. He goes on in verse 21, For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment delivered to them. And so they turn away from the truth because they've not been saved. Those people who turn away from the truth, the people who have not been saved. Now, he concludes there, in verse number 22, with a disgusting picture. It has happened to them, according to the truth proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. Here's what Peter is saying. A dog may feel better after emptying his stomach, but he's still a dog. You may take a pig and clean it up and bathe it and put talcum powder on it, put a bow on its head, all those things. And Peter is saying that it's still going to go back to the wallow because it's still a pig. Now, that's what he is saying. These are not my words. This is what Peter is saying about these false teachers who come into the church and corrupt the church with false teaching, with false doctrine. You see, here's what Paul said. Paul said, if a man is in Christ, he is a new creature. He is a new creation. All things are passed away. All things become new. If a person is in Christ, there is a difference in that person's life. I do not accept the idea that a person can become a believer and continue without any change in their life. Because they have become a new creature. They become a new person. That's what Jesus does. So I'll just ask you to, to look at your religion. Is it, is it a religion that is founded in Scripture? Is it a religion that is founded on Christ? Because if not, then it's a false doctrine. That is the reason, ladies and gentlemen, it is so important that you examine what you hear. If it sounds strange, examine it according to the Word of God. Because it is the Word of God that we build our lives. It is the foundation. Our Father, we thank you for this reminder. We thank you, Lord, for uh, telling us of the, of the importance of, uh, of truth. And the Lord Jesus has told us that he is the life, the way, and the truth, and that no one comes unto the Father except through him. I pray, Lord, for those today who have never come to Christ, that they might. I pray, Lord, for others who need to make commitments, that they will do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, just a moment, we're going to stand and the uh, extend an invitation. The choir's going to sing. If you're here without Jesus, let me encourage you to commit your life to him. 
If you are looking for a church home and the Lord's been speaking to you, then our doors open to you. We'd love to have you as a part of our family. Our doors open. We'd love to have you. What a great time to come. Stand with me, please. As we stand, the choir sings. You come. I'll greet you as you do.